Chapter Thirty One, Part One of Autobiography, Memories, and Experiences, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Autobiography, Memories, and Experiences, Volume Two, by Moncure Conway. Chapter Thirty One, Part One peter alfred taylor m p for leicester though not an impassioned orator was an eloquent speaker and the only thorough republican of high position and wealth i ever knew in england he was a leader in the agitation against the game laws and the sabbath laws and against tithes he and his wife mentia a lady of finest culture and literary taste made their beautiful mansion aubrey house a centre of liberal thinkers, writers, artists, a veritable salon. At their receptions I met young writers and artists who afterwards became famous, and Mrs. Taylor formed there a pen and pencil club, at which our sketches were read or exhibited. A privately printed volume of the essays is treasured by the survivors of that delightful club. Peter Taylor freely gave money to the leagues defending the anti-slavery cause in America, and to those of the liberators of Poland and Italy. It was the treasurer of the Italian agitators especially, and Mazzini passed nearly every evening of his sojourn in London at Aubrey House. Radical leaders of other countries also visited Aubrey House, but I thought Mazzini slightly jealous of any competition with Italy in English interest. He evidently thought that the initiative of world renovation belonged by transcendent necessity, to italy i met mazzini continually his circle was my own his fellow exile venturi had married miss ashurst a sister of the wife of the honourable james stansfield m p mr stansfield got into trouble by receiving letters for mazzini this was necessary even though the letters were addressed to mr flower fior di Mazza. Mazzini had yet another name for London. In my address book, 1863, I find Signor Ernesti, Joseph Mazzini, 2 Onslow Terrace, Brompton, Southwest, between 11 and 6. We must not write to or ask for him under his real name. In the poor little lodging house he had two small rooms. At one time he was so poor that a few friends quietly made up a testimonial. There was a Mazzini cult, and to some extent my wife and I shared the enthusiasm, although we did not include in it any passionate interest in Italian unity. It was impossible to resist the personality of Mazzini, and I thought even his accent added to the charm of his conversation. He appeared to me an illustration of Heine's belief that the beauty of Italians is due to the sublime works of art surrounding their mothers. His life had been, as Peter Taylor said, one long sacrifice and there was in every feature and especially in his great dark eye a melancholy rarely relieved even by a smile we were all surprised when early in eighteen sixty four our radical friend james stansfield was appointed by palmerston junior lord of the admiralty soon after that the greco regicide plot was announced mazzini called on me and declared that Greco was a mere decoy of Napoleon the Third, 
to arrest the republican propaganda of garibaldi and himself stansfield said that he did not suppose there was anything seditious in the correspondence mazzini being sometimes absent from london needed a friend to receive his letters but offered his resignation which was not accepted during the discussion in the house of commons sir h tracy read an old letter of mazzini concerning galenia's declaration to him of his purpose to kill charles albert mazzini discouraged him but said his letter he ended by convincing me that he was one of those beings whose purposes are a matter between their own consciences and god and whom providence from time to time lets loose upon earth like Hamodius of yore to teach despots that the limit of their power rests in the hands of one single man galenia a brilliant man i had met in america where however he had again gone eighteen sixty four as a confederate sympathizer to write for the london times so much was i hypnotized by mazzini that i was ready to gloze over all this nor did i doubt that the greco plot was a trick of napoleon the third but if so it was a mismove english people were not so much concerned about the security of the emperor as about their males italian enthusiasm revived and garibaldi was invited to england there was a great sensation about this visit of garibaldi the palmerstonian or right-wing liberals were allies of napoleon the third since the commercial treaty obtained by cobden but they could not offend the radicals by preventing the visit it was decided that the aristocracy should monopolize garibaldi and keep him from mingling with the radicals and especially from consultation with mazzini he had accepted an invitation to pass several days at albury house and there i met him he saw with delight for the first time a portrait of cromwell it represented the protector refusing the crown and garibaldi knew english enough to exclaim noble fellow noble fellow not to accept it garibaldi karl blind assured me that he was of german extraction and that his name combined gar war and bold bold was nobler in looks than cromwell but his boldness was confined to the battlefield the eye of napoleon the third was on him there at albury house where he was surrounded by Mazzini, Venturi, Safi, Karl Blind, Freiligrath, Ledru Rollin, Louis Blanc, and other great refugees. But he was drawn away by the aristocracy to be fated. The grandeur of the popular reception given him in London had attracted the attention of all Europe, but not less the demonstration in Covent Garden Opera House where the aristocrats imprudently carried him he was treated like an emperor in that city where louis napoleon had lived so long in obscurity enormous flowers decorated his private box where lords and ladies in official robes surrounded him worse than all the opera was massaniello and a furore was excited by the line o santo ardor di patrio amor the prospect of seeing Garibaldi pass on a triumphal march through the United Kingdom was intolerable to Napoleon III. All he had to do was to suggest a possible withdrawal from the Free Trade Treaty. John Bull's heart was thus touched, and Gladstone, 
who was managing the matter, determined that Garibaldi was too ill to continue his visit. The opera of Massaniello made way for a diplomatic performance of a famous scene in the Barber of Seville, with the modification that, whereas in the play, Don Basilio is genuinely persuaded by the lovers that he is ill, Garibaldi never felt in better health than when the commercial lovers, Napoleon III and Britannia, suddenly hustled him out of England. When tricks are done on our side, how easy it is to pardon them. I could not forgive Gladstone or Napoleon III, but could recognize legitimate stratagems, if not quite noble, in devices of liberators. Mazzini told me that when he and Garibaldi occupied Naples, the priests wished to excite hostility to them among the people by a disappointment on the fate of St. Januarius. The annual liquefaction of the blood of St. Januarius attracts great crowds, but it had been announced that the blood would not liquefy that year. But Garibaldi and Mazzini, both unbelievers in Christianity, informed the priests that if the blood did not liquefy as usual, St. Januarius' church would be perpetually closed. So the blood liquefied on time, and the miracle was thus turned into a divine sanction of the Republic. In Rome also, during the brief existence of the Republic there, came a fate at which the people were accustomed to see the dome of St. Peter's illuminated. Mazzini, hearing that it had been prophesied by the priests that the Republic would end that and other celebrations, commanded the officials of St. Peter's to do exactly as usual, and on their refusal appointed special officers who took care that nothing should be omitted. Mazzini said he believed he could do more towards removing popular superstitions by securing the foundations of free government than by offending the common sentiment of the people. About Garibaldi there remained something childlike to the end, when, after the Crimean War, Savoy and Nice were about to be annexed to the French Empire. Garibaldi hastened to Turin and presented himself to my cousin, John Moncure Daniel, United States Minister. He said that he had come to ask him to annex Nice to the American Republic and throw over it the powerful protection of the American banner. He declared himself proud of being a citizen of the United States and said that his fellow citizens of Nice loathed the French. My cousin, Frederick Daniel, secretary of legation under his brother, tells me that a good many Italian misinista visited the legation and that the minister told them that while he sympathized with their cause, he could do nothing for them. In 1865, after the Union cause had triumphed in America, Mazzini spoke to me and wrote to me urging the duty of the new emancipated America to enter on her mission of universal liberation. In one letter, May 25th, he wrote, Dear Mr. Conway, the heroic struggle in your native land is at an end. Ought it not to be the beginning of a new era in American life? The life of a great nation is twofold, inward and outward. The nation is a mission, a function in the development of mankind, or nothing. A nation has a task to fulfill in the world for the good of all, a principle it represents in a mighty struggle which constitutes history, a flag to hoist in the giant battle, to which all local battles are episodes. Going on in the earth between justice and injustice, 
liberty and tyranny equality and arbitrary privilege god and the devil the non-interference doctrine is an atheistic one to abstain is to deny the oneness of god and of mankind there is a time a period during which the implement must be fitted up the power for action organized that period requires abstention you have gone through that period it was right that the founders of the united states should say to them abstain from all european concerns it would be mere selfism if they took that rule as a permanent one you are now powerful with a tested power you have asserted yourself you have by the abolition of slavery linked yourselves with the condition of europe the four years list of noble deeds achieved by you all must be a christening to the mission of which i speak you have shown yourselves great you have therefore great duties to perform you must represent the republican principle which is your life not only within your boundaries but everywhere whenever it is possible to do so europe the republican europe expects you to do so you can be a leading power amongst us therefore you ought to be such a power all this is far higher than any consideration of safety still even that consideration is something what you have done and the applause of all struggling countries have alarmed all the european monarchs depend upon it they will not leave you at rest the imperialist scheme the spanish scheme the austrian scheme will go on the mexican affair is a program you must interfere if you want to avoid being interfered with you ought to grasp the opportunity your prestige is immense you are in one of those decisive moments given by victory which was on a smaller scale before garibaldi after he had conquered sicily and naples he might have achieved anything had he not yielded to monarchy's bidding you may now achieve anything league yourself with all your republican national parties let your representatives abroad be instructed to put themselves in contact with us and to give a word of encouragement to our efforts a pledge of alliance with our future go to mexico go quickly ensure a victory defeat the usurpers before they have reinforcements let your proclamation say that you go not for conquest's sake but in the name of a principle because you feel called to check the interfering progress of despotic monarchical schemes and help us to act simultaneously both in france and italy against austria and against the empire a sum of fifty thousand of thirty thousand dollars a steam frigate sent of course not officially at our orders will enable us to ensure triumph not only for ourselves but for yourselves too why am i saying this why do we not collect money in our own countries of course we can but it would take six months one year and everybody will know it and every monarch will be on the alert now if you go to mexico action on our side ought to be sudden and simultaneous I write these things to you because you have friends in the United States to whom you may perhaps communicate these ideas and who may find it advisable to embody them into facts. If so, the transaction ought to take place secretly and quickly. Ever faithfully yours, 
Joseph Mazzini. I quote from another letter dated October 30th, 1865. Dear Conway, you ask my opinion about the colored men's suffrage question. Can you doubt it? You have abolished slavery. You have as a crowning to your glorious struggle, as a religious consecration to battles which otherwise would have only been deplorable events, decreed that the sun of the republic shines on all, that he who breathes the air of the republic is free, that, as God is one, so on the blessed soil where liberty is not a mere happened hazard fate, but a faith and a gospel, the stamp of mankind is one. Can you mutilate this great principle? Can you cut it down to the monarchical half-freedom standard? Proclaim the existence of the half-man, enthrone a dogma of half-responsibility, constitute on the Republican-American land a Middle Ages class of political serfs. Is there liberty without the vote? Is not political liberty the sanction, the guarantee of civil liberty? Is not the vote the stamp of self-asserting human nature through the mortal world, as the right of labor and property is its self-asserting stamp through the physical world? Will you turn, by denying this, your democracy to an incipient aristocracy? Will you decree that color is moral subalternation? Ignorance is, indeed, but you did not choose educated intellect as a test for the electoral right. Had you done so, objections might arise on a different ground. But you could not be accused of betraying the very principle you have been proclaiming of applying a different rule to two sections of God's children, of saying, these colored men will be called on to be the armed apostles of national union, and to give their life for it, but their life will not be represented in the councils of the nation. End of chapter 31, part 1